What's up, podcast? Welcome to another episode of Insights. In this episode, we have one of the Empower You sessions. Uh, as you might know, we've been doing the, the series called Empower You in the Johnson City office. Uh, Andy Rogers, the physician's assistant in Johnson City, has been uh, doing these talks. And uh, this talk is, is a really important one. Um, Dr. Rogers has talked a ton about the importance of sleep. Um, so we decided to do one of the seminars on sleep and its importance, uh, how to improve your sleep. Uh, and Andy Rogers is, is the one giving the, the talk here. So uh, if you didn't see it on, uh, on one of our social channels, on Facebook, on Instagram, uh, and if you weren't there live, uh, this is your opportunity to uh, get this information and, and hopefully apply it to improve your sleep and, and, uh, and use it to, to help you in your overall health because uh, sleep is one of those pillars uh, that we all need to take care of if we, if we want to have optimal health or if we want to um, be our healthiest self. So anyways, I'm going to let you guys get to the seminar. Uh, this is the Empower You Seminar on Sleep, and uh, this is with Andy Rogers. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Facebook Live, and welcome to Performance Medicine Live. I'm your host, Andy. I'm a physician's assistant that works here. Uh, most of you all know me. Uh, we're a part of our Empower You series, so everyone online, thank you for joining as well. Well, we're going to talk about sleep. And actually, I will tell you that before looking up stuff like this, I didn't know a ton about sleep. I thought you just sleep, you get over it, and people either sleep well or don't sleep well. There is a million things and a million factors that go into good sleep and different ideologies of why we sleep, how we sleep, and how we get the best sleep. And we have a wonderful guest speaker today, Dr. Martin. I cannot wait until you speak. So I'm gonna to try to go through this very quickly because he's the boss that you wanna to talk to on sleep. So well, I promise you I'll be very quick. And if anything I say in here is not accurate, you just come back and correct me on that. But I wanna try a little experiment first. So mom, if you'll go over and turn off the lights. So we're gonna pretend that we're going to sleep right now. So if you'll turn off the lights for me. Perfect, okay, lights are out, everybody just shut your eyes. Now, what are some factors that have already happened here that contribute, what do you think is good about why, if we wanted to sleep right now and bad about if, what if we wanted to sleep right now? Just shout them out, any idea is not a bad idea. Noise, Noise. I am yelling at you and I'm trying to ask you questions and I'm interrupting you, noise. Now is all noise bad? Maybe not. Maybe a white noise or a fan in the room is actually going to be more appropriate. A white noise would drown my voice out trying to ask you questions. What else is in this? What color is this screen? This blue. Blue lights. Blue lights and screen time prior to sleep that disrupts uh, natural chemical releases for sleep and, and contributes to poor and, and, and interrupted sleep. What else is there? There's other ambient light too, right? We're not completely out. Maybe blackout shades or a mask. The more you, you can try closing your eyes, but there's still light getting in and through that. What am I doing right now? You can turn back on the lights, Mom. Sorry. <laughs> this is experimenting. What am I doing? I'm drinking wine, right? Wine. Maybe help me or not help me sleep. What do you think? Uh, Why? Why do you think not? I would think sure. It, but no, that, but you're right. All right. A lot of this, a lot of the sleep studies I was looking at say you have trouble going to sleep, staying asleep. Alcohol actually makes you wake up more times during the middle of the night. Though it, it, it it's actually an inhibitory drug. We do alcohol to help calm us down. A lot of people have that nightcap. I'm going to take this nightcap to help me sleep. But sometimes it can actually disrupt sleep later on. So that's a good thing. So alcohol is something to consider too. What time of day is it? It's early, right? And you just walked in. We're stressed. We're trying to learn something right now. Calming and relaxation are important prior to going to sleep. So a lot of the times when we think about sleep, we're not thinking about really what we're doing for good sleep hygiene prior to saying, I have sleep apnea, I have insomnia. So today we're going to talk a little bit about the backgrounds of sleep, some big buzzwords with REM and NREM that I think are important to note and I think that are used quite often in vocabulary without knowing what's happening. Uh, and then some of, the, uh, some of the disorders that may be getting in the way of sleep and some of the general sleep recommendations. 
So what is sleep? These are just some of the definitions that I've had with this really cute baby sleeping. Uh, a state of reversible unconsciousness where brain is less responsive to external stimuli. Some people are heavy sleepers or light sleepers. Uh, the resting state in which the body is not active. I just like sleep as the body's rest cycle. During this entire Empower You series, we've been talking about your body as an engine, right? Like it's a car, you're trying to feed it the right things. You're trying to make sure that it moves so that it's running well, the oil's going where it needs to go. You provide maintenance. If you have a broken wheel or an axle, you replace it with a new better one. With a car, you've gotta make sure, it's, you gotta recharge. Think about your cell phone. If you keep running your cell phone and you do not plug it into the wall, what's going to happen? It's dead, right? It's dead. It's slower. It doesn't hold on to memory. If you think about sleep, I want you to think about you as your iPhone and everybody wants their iPhone to work better and to be fully charged and sleep is the way to do it. So a little background on sleep. It's our body, our bodies regulate sleep. So most of us who don't suffer from insomnia don't have to think about sleep. You just eventually you're gonna go to sleep. It's not like, hey, I'm gonna go outside and run a mile and I'm gonna make myself run. You don't think about breathing. You just naturally inhale and exhale. It's not, it's, it's, a, it's a natural uh, instinctual response to sleep. And there's a lot of theories as to why we do that. The inactivity theory, energy conservation theory, and restorative theory. These all basically say that this is more of a functional biological look at why we sleep. And really it's to avoid predators. Animals would sleep, be in caves at night because they, when they went out at night, they couldn't see. So if you can't see what's about to attack you, that's a natural uh, protective mechanism for animals. Uh, it's an energy conservation too. You s expend most of your energy during the daylight to catch prey, to eat, to provide nutrition. Uh, so you conserve energy throughout the night. Uh, uh, to help out with the daytime activities. Restorative theory is the one that I like best because then it looks at what's happening in your body biochemically. There's muscle growth, there's growth hormone release. A lot of the biochemical, these chemicals are only released during nighttime or inactivity, growth hormones specifically. Uh, so you get a lot of tissue repair, protein synthesis, and that growth hormone release, very important for kids. Question for the group and question at home, do kids get more sleep or require more sleep than adults? More. more sleep as a kid, right? So you think about the toddlers or the babies that sleep all day long and are awake all night crying. And then you think about the teenagers who is, oh, they, they are sleeping in until noon or one o'clock on, on the weekends. They actually require a little bit more sleep and it's actually helping out with their brain development too. Uh, so as we age, we find that we're actually getting less and less sleep and require less sleep. Um, adenosine versus melatonin, these are two important notes. Adenosine is actually much more active in the brain during daytime, and so this is kind of your alertness. And as your brain gets more and more adenosine out during the day, it actually makes you more tired. So it's a way to say, I'm, I'm through the day, I'm getting more adenosine, more, 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 do more, do more, go to sleep. So adenosine um, influx makes you tired, and caffeine inhibits the action of adenosine. So that's what gets us up. I have that afternoon mole, I'm feeling tired. Caffeine blocks the actions of adenosine. And so everybody always talks about melatonin. It's the first thing I ask patients if you have trouble sleeping, have you tried melatonin or natural sleep aids? Melatonin is naturally higher during the nighttime cycles, which helps contribute to sleepiness versus a wakefulness state. Uh, this is just brain stuff, which I find very fascinating, but also kind of confusing and not super important on a layman's term, but I wanted to give this to you should you ever want to access these slides in the future on the sleep basics and just how much your brain is in control of this. So the hypothalamus control center talks to the brain stem, which communicates with the hypothalamus, increases GABA, which GABA is inhibitory, it brings you down. Thalamus then relays information to the prefrontal cortex and turns on and off during the sleep cycles, which is in REM and REM. The pineal gland releases melatonin. It is tiny, tiny, tiny in your brain and releases so much. Basal forebrain and the midbrain then promote a sleep or a wakefulness state and your amygdala regulates your emotions. And there's a lot of research being done on the amygdala because 
they're saying that our society now actually has a very hyperactive amygdala state creating an anxious picture in younger kids and adolescents, which has actually contributed a lot by social media, media and instant gratification. Question? What's the mood for you, uh, <laughs> For the only one laughing in the room, that is a quote from The Waterboy starring Adam Sandler. And I will let you Google the medulla oblongata. Thank you. Kelly. <laughs> uh, this is a note on the stages of sleep. Um, and a lot of people talk, does anybody know, just off the top of their heads, maybe not Dr. Martin because you're a sleep expert, with REM, REM versus non-REM, REM versus NREM. Everybody keeps talking about, I want that deep sleep, I want REM. Do you know how often you're in REM sleep, like a deep, deep sleep? Just off the top of your head. One hour. One hour? That's, a, that's actually pretty smooth. Yep, 13 to 20% is actually what we found too. And upwards of, that's a great, yes, Bernie for the win. Give him a prize, give him a prize. So I always think that, oh, you're always wanting to be in this deep sleep forever. And it's actually not part of the natural sleep cycle to be in REM the entire time. So what are the differences between REM? This is REM, right? Is that a band? I've never listened to REM, but I thought that was funny. Thank you, thank you. Is it a good band? Okay, I need to listen. I wish I had music that, that played on there. Um, most of the time, we're actually not in REM sleep. We're in different stages of NREM, and there's three stages. Uh, the one that I pointed out most is the third stage, which has growth hormone release. On a basic level, this is non-rapid eye movement, and you'll notice on an EEG, when they hook your, hook your head up to some electrodes to notice brain activity, this is when you notice less brain activity, less movement. When you get into REM, REM actually looks like when you're awake on an EEG. There's a lot of movement happening in REM. This is your rapid eye movement, smallish portion of sleep, but the difference is, is that there's an increased blood flow to the brain during REM sleep. So they said this is important really for brain activity and for brain, brain plasticity. And brain plasticity is where your brain is growing. Your brain just doesn't, even though there's a maturity level, I believe around age 25 to 26, where your brain continues to grow, you're still having brain molding as we age and as we learn new things. Your brain is malleable as we continue to age. So the increased blood flow, if you think about the things, if you wanna cut off circulation to your brain, you cut off glucose and you cut off oxygen. Your brain thrives on glucose. Whenever we counsel our patients with diabetes, the reason we're concerned about low blood sugar is because your brain is not getting food that it needs. It lives off glucose. You can talk to endocrinologists and they'll want their adolescents, their younger type ones, to run much higher than lower because it's more important for brain health than atherosclerotic disease at that age. So your brain thrives on it and thrives on oxygen. You want increased blood flow. Uh, and they say too that during this REM sleep is where you're getting more hormone balance as well and hormone release. So what are benefits of good sleep? Decrease, this is all stuff that seems like you could just pick this out of a book. Anybody could have said this. It's decreased stress, improvement in heart health, memory. When you're thinking about sleeping, what are you not doing when you're sleeping? Activity, right? I'm not running a marathon, I'm not working, I'm not moving, I am in a relaxed state. So what's your body gonna do? Your stress hormones aren't gonna be up, they're gonna be down, right? You're not gonna have a ton of cortisol pouring out in the middle of the night. Cortisol affects everything, every part of your system. The stress hormones are down. So sleep is good because it's bringing you back down to a very low mellow state. Your blood pressure decreases, your blood sugars decrease, um, you, you find that actually they did animal studies for less sickness that there's a huge benefit with immunity and immune health with more sleep. The animals that were sleep deprived, which is a part of torture techniques for like terrorist type activity, uh, they'll, they'll have sleep deprivation and you'll get sick quick. Uh, it helps maintain a healthy weight and helps with, I think the most important thing is for brain health. Um, uh, with regeneration and improvement of neurons, brain plasticity, which we talked about, and fertility, which is something that I kind of found interesting too, is that 
they'll ask you about your sleep health whenever you're not able to conceive. Poor sleep, you think the exact opposite. You put yourself at way more risk uh, for um, sickness and infection, heart disease and diabetes and hypertension. If you think about it, if you're not asleep, you're what? Awake, right? When you're awake, you're moving, you have your stress hormones, you have your focus hormones, everything is functioning and you have to let your battery recharge. Uh, with they find too, I think it's important to know that there's poor performance at work, school, and with the relationships too. Have you talked to someone who didn't get enough sleep? They're curmudgeons, they're crabby. That happens, it affects your mood. Uh, so getting in the way of sleep, sleep hygiene versus sleep disorder. So I think it's important to know that when you're thinking about, am I getting enough sleep? Why am I not getting enough sleep? And I always like to start with what is your sleep habits like? What is sleep hygiene like? Because if your sleep hygiene is off, those are things to tack off first to try to improve for sleep hygiene. So what is proper sleep hygiene? Uh, limiting daytime naps, less than 30 minutes a day. Um, caffeine, nicotine, alcohol, and food avoidance prior to bedtime. If you think about it, if you're if you're loading the engine, if you're gassing up the engine before going to bed when it should be resting, that, that's, that's counterproductive. You wanna gas up the engine before you're going. So actually avoiding nighttime snacking or food uh, or anything that's gonna be a stimulant like caffeine or nicotine. Proper exposure to natural light during the day. So you'll notice that people who are clinically blind will have issues with sleeping and sleep hygiene because they don't know the difference between night and day. The natural exposure in something called circadian rhythm, uh, it's a natural way that your body recognizes when to be up and when to be down. And that is a lot of the time uh, a part of the 24 hour day cycle uh, in conjunction with the sun. Exercise helps out in, in, in bedtime routines. Your bedtime routines I think is the most important thing. How are you calming down? Everybody's on their smartphones. I was looking at these studies. I think upwards of almost 90% of adolescents were on social media within five minutes of waking up. You wake up and you turn on your phone. Who has an alarm clock that's not on their phone? Nobody has an alarm clock that's not on their phone. Everybody in this room, we have a thousand people in this, a thousand people in this room, oh my God, they're at the door. A thousand people in this room all have their alarm clocks on their phones. What are you doing? You are immediately going to a blue light and looking at your phone and looking for instant gratification when you turn off that alarm. Nobody has an alarm clock anymore. Bedtime routines. So optimal environments, including a proper mattress. Uh, mom and dad sleep upstairs on a better mattress because their mattress downstairs is too hard. Mattresses make a difference. Temperature is a big thing too. You cannot sleep when you're hot. Your body temperature naturally cools during that cycle and you wanna be in a cooler environment. You think you wanna match body temperature uh, with the temperature in the room. Noise and light avoidance, which you talked about our experiment at the beginning. A lot of people need to, a white noise or a fan to be able to create consistency. It's the variable noise, me shouting at you, that really, this, it's, a, it's a protective measure. You wanna be able to sleep, but if someone's coming in and attacking you in the middle of the night, you wanna be able to get awake. So that constant noise and variability is supposed to help you get awake, not stay asleep. Uh, and less screen time. Screen time is very important, and a lot of the studies I was saying, at least 30 minutes, if not to an hour before bed, not having screen time. They say that the bedroom should be for sex and sleep only, and there shouldn't actually be a TV in the room at all. It'd be hard to avoid having not having your phone in that room, but that's the best way for proper sleep hygiene. So now we're gonna go into just some very common sleep disorders, and Dr. Mott will be able to talk a little bit more proficiently than I can about these, but a very common one is sleep apnea. So I'm just gonna go over the what's, hows, and whys of these common sleep disorders. Breathing is briefly and frequently interrupted during sleep. You think of the constant snore. So the snoring is more of a common, uh, common symptom or sign of obstructive sleep apnea versus central. Obstructive means in the way. There's an anatomical thing in the way, either through enlarged uh, um, upper, small, upper small airway structural organs that are in the way. Sometimes it's for, uh, through micronathia with a small jaw. There's different anatomical differences that actually make 
uh, create an obstruction. Central is going to be from the release, your brain talking to your other organs as far as the breathing mechanism uh, during sleep. So think sleep apnea is a person that stops breathing for upwards of 15 to 20 seconds a night. It's, it's kind of scary whenever you know someone with sleep apnea. How do you test it? You do a sleep study. There are at-home sleep studies that work well, but I find that I found that the best ones are in office, and I don't know if that's the same with what you found, that the in-office, you observe a patient sleeping, they hook you up to EEGs and see your breathing patterns. Then, if you'd like to quickly look on that, that has an aura ring. Okay, um, <laughs> so this is called an aura ring. Um, this is the best thing I've had to show me how well I slept. Um, the previous night it Bluetooth into my phone and besides all the other unbelievable stuff it does the reason I love it is because I can tell you exactly how many what stages of sleep I went through so last night total sleep six hours and 34 minutes now I was in Nashville last night so wasn't as much as I usually get um, went to a concert but um, so latency it took me 10 minutes to fall asleep efficiency about 89% which was good um, restfulness, optimal. So I didn't have a lot of movement during the night. I actually didn't get up one time. Um, I've got, I got REM sleep, one hour and 20 minutes, which was 20%. Deep sleep, which I'm usually better, uh, was 55 minutes. The deep restorative sleep or stage four sleep is probably the most important one, in my opinion, uh, 14%. Um, so I, light sleep was four hours and 19 minutes. So resting heart rate, average 59 beats a minute, low 53. So this thing is an awesome piece of equipment. I don't know if you've known this about this, Tim, or not, but this is an awesome thing. It's called an aura ring. And yes. with this ring, Dad will finally join the forces of the Mighty Morphin Power Rangers to help save the world with this ring. Actually, I got it because I wanted to kind of, I knew I didn't sleep well. Any doctor that's been in practice for 35 years who's taken call, gotten up, gone to the hospital night after night, not anymore. My job's a little easier than it was. But, you know, our sleep patterns are kind of screwed for life, in my opinion. So, as you, and as you get older, Tim, I think you don't sleep as well. I just think getting older, we don't sleep like we did. Am I right? Um, I don't know of anybody my age, baby boomers, that sleep really great. But uh, I'm sure there's some out there. But this thing actually quantifies it for me. So I can experiment with little sleep cocktails. And I admit, I used to take Ambien. Then I got on Lunesta, which will put you to sleep. But they're not good to stay on. They're really not because they really affect memory and you don't really get the good night's sleep that you think you might. Sometimes they're useful, but not for chronic use. So when I decided long ago to get off these, I started getting on melatonin, a little CBD oil, and L-theanine, and also Relora occasionally, which is from Magnolia Bark. So I went totally natural. And so I can kind of play around with it a little bit and see which gives me the best night's sleep. So, and I do need something to help me sleep. And hopefully it's an all-natural product, but um, Aura Ring, remember that. Brought to you by Aura Ring, the natural way to sleep with a ring on. <laughs> Perfect. Not really. Um, I, don't I don't have any ties to this company at all, but I found it to be great. <laughs> Some of my patients actually gave me the idea. I have several patients who wear these things. So and just great. for four short payments of $49.95, you can get your Aura Ring engraved. <laughs> About, I'm sorry. I'm kidding. It's about, ring's great. I'm really joking. I'm it's sorry. about three hundred dollars. You can go on Amazon <laughs> and get uh, you get it on sale for about three hundred dollars. Well worth it. Yes. Yeah. So that's good. I appreciate you talking about. It. So he's knowing how he's sleeping during the night, and that's just really talking about this sleep study. That's like an, a small at-home sleep study. Treatments for sleep apnea most common is CPAP, which is continuous positive airway pressure opening up the obstruction, allowing for oxygen flow. You'll notice that if you do not oxygenate it at night, you will be fatigued and tired the next day. Um, if you'll notice too, uh, Dr. Martin's gonna talk a, a lot about dental devices. A nerve stimulation is gonna be more for central for the hippoglossal nerve. Stop smoking, losing weight, and decreasing your alcohol intake. That could be the treatment for anything, could it not? Does it not just apply to sleep apnea? That, that contributes to everything. If there's one thing I can tell you to do, it's to stop smoking if you're smoking. That's not, there is not 
there is one cause where that actually helps out and it may help out with ulcerative colitis for smoking. Not real, that's just a little buzzword. So smoking, not good. Insomnia, what is insomnia? Trouble falling or staying asleep. I always thought insomnia was like the movie with Robin Williams where they never slept. That's not necessarily true. It's at least three nights per week greater than three months is gonna be chronic insomnia, but there's also acute insomnia where you have a test, an important test and boards the next day and you haven't slept for the last three nights because you're stressed. That can be acute insomnia. Just think trouble falling or staying asleep. So why are these happening? Medical conditions, medications are huge. Are you taking anything at night or past 4 p.m. that's keeping you up and is a stimulant? Depression and anxiety is totally related to insomnia and changes in sleep. Hormone imbalance. We've had several patients who had trouble sleeping because of imbalance in hormones, replacement of testosterone, totally restored sleep, and a lot of it is lifestyle too. If you think about anybody that's on shift work, working graveyard shift, um, um, they call it shift work. Is it shift work syndrome is what they call it too. You throw off your um, hormone imbalance and your circadian rhythm by working at night. And it's hard for those patients to sleep because you're trying to fight what your body's naturally doing. So how do you test for this? Uh, most of it can be a sleep log or an inventory. You're log, logging how you slept, how you feel, how many hours you got, or you can do a sleep study in office. So the treatment for insomnia if it were me, I'd rule out any organic causes that may be in the way, checking out your hormones, checking out your thyroid, anything dealing with metabolism, uh, seeing with the sleep logs if it contributes to proper sleep hygiene and, uh, hygiene and start training for better sleep. Anything, anything worthwhile is going to, you have to make a routine out of it. It's not just going to happen once and you'll feel better. You've got to start making a routine for bedtime. Um, Over-the-counter uh, over medications in which dad talked about with were Laura and melatonin were we what I'd start off with first um, and then go into medical interventions should you need it with probably starting more with Lunesta over the Ambien. Restless leg syndrome, the Jimmy legs. So this is an unpleasant or uncomfortable sensation in the legs causing irresistible urge to move them. This is actually affecting a lot more people than I thought. It's about one in every 2,000 people worldwide, which doesn't seem like a lot, but it's more than I thought initially. Uh, so people, these are periodic movements of the limb can happen every 15 to 40 seconds during the night. Imagine if you are twitching that much during the night, you're not gonna sleep. So they say, why is this happening? A lot of it is genetics or a basal ganglia dysfunction, thinking that uh, if you look at your patients with Parkinson's, there's a dopamine dysfunction, uh, and actually having uh, too little dopamine can affect it. You want a dopaminergic uh, treatment for it, it can actually help out with this. Pregnancy is a big one with RLS too that they check for, and low iron. Low iron uh, would be the lowest bearing fruit. So if you feel like you do have restless leg syndrome, I would check an iron first to see if that's part of it. Uh, and then replacing wherever there's a deficiency. The medications are Requip and Mirapex, should that be part of your history. And narcolepsy is the last one. Excessive sleep and uncontrollable sleep, and this happens. So it occurs during uh, normal daily activities. And this isn't just from, um, this isn't just from I had a big day yesterday and didn't really sleep well last night, so now I'm asleep during the day. Narcolepsy is way different. They say that it's actually a decrease in hypocritin, which is an alerting chemical in the hypothalamus. So there's a dysregulation of what's keeping us awake and regulates that sleep-wake cycle. It's damaged or has dysregulated. So it's actually more of a biochemical disorder with narcolepsy. There's also something called cataplexy. I don't know if you've ever Googled or YouTubed those lamb videos where you go in and you scare them real quick and they just fall over and they're asleep. It's cataplexy. That's a part of narcolepsy. Increased stimulus can actually inhibit and, and cause narcoleptic episodes called cataplexy. The treatment is provigil or nuvigil. And actually modafinil, provigil is used a lot. Like, there's something called excessive sleepiness, is excessive sleepiness disorder. It's not something that's just necessarily narcolepsy. 
Provisional's used a lot. There, I guess this isn't. Lady Gaga was on a podcast with Oprah. I listened to it two days ago, Super Soul Sunday. Uh, and I'm a big Gaga fan. And the Gaga uses actually modafinil as part of her treatment uh, regimen for anxiety depression. So Provigil's kind of used not just for a specific narcolepsy disorder, not promoting modafinil for just anxiety depression, but just know that that medication may be on the rise soon. General sleep recommendations. So this is everything that's gonna be part of proper sleep hygiene. Taking 20 minutes to wind down before bed, making a routine is huge. See how much you're on your phones, because your phones are just there, and it's almost a, it's a, an appendage now. Everybody has it. Every, it's in everybody. It's in your life. It's in everybody's hands all the time. We look at it all the time. See how much you're doing it at night and before bed. Uh, creating a peaceful uh, environment, noise, light, activity, and temperature. Uh, decreasing stimulus control. Um, they say too that if you're getting out of bed, if you've been awake for more than 20 minutes, to get out of bed and then get back in. So in the bed should be for sleeping. Um, breathing exercises, mindfulness and meditation, these are all de-stressing techniques, which next week is going to be our stress module, which I am pumped about because I am the most stressed person in the world, I feel like. Turn on a blue light filter on your phone. They even make blue light filters for glasses as well. If you're staring at a computer screen quite often during the day, if you think about it, I'm reading a book called Brainwash right now. They're talking about how much time we're actually spending looking at a screen. And it's upwards of 22 years of our life looking at a screen. Is that interesting? If you think about what's happening, what we're taking in from an actual screen, 22 years of our life. Uh, try over-the-counter medications first, over uh, prescription medications, uh, and I do not want to downplay prescription medications. Lunesta in the right situation works and is super helpful. Uh, the ambience just tend to be a little bit more uh, dependent and tolerant and can have some crazy side effects with um, with uh, sleepwalking, with sleepwalking. Uh, and check your hormones. Check and see if there's any sort of organic causes that are getting in the way of your sleep. And this is just healthy counting sheep. Uh, and that's it on my end. Sorry I rolled through that, but I just wanted to get more to the headliner tonight uh, with Dr. Martin. Do we have any questions about, actually let's have Dr. Martin come up first and then we'll take questions at the end and if anybody on Facebook Live wants to talk. Dr. Martin, if you just want to introduce yourself real quick okay. to everybody, I'm so excited that you're here. Great. I'm Tim Martin, and uh, I'm a dentist, not a physician, and uh, but I do work with sleep medicine, and it's because dentistry has an alternative sometimes to help a person who uh, struggles with a CPAP. That's how we got into it, and uh, I've been doing that about 14 years. I'm going to brag about him a little bit. Dr. Martin is one of only four fellowship trained and board certified sleep dentists in the whole state. And he was educated at Tufts University in his fellowship. So we did a, a kind of a seminar together a few years ago and it turned out real great. So I asked him, and he's very generous to come here tonight and talk to you about um, ways to get over this sleep apnea, which is so common. It, it's actually killing people. People die because of sleep apnea. It makes their lives miserable. It causes heart disease diabetes, cancer, everything else. And he's got some cool thoughts about it, a lot of experience, much more than anybody here does. So take it away, Tim, what do you think? Okay, uh, as Andy uh, described to us so well, there's a, uh, you have insomnia and then you have sleep apnea. That's two entirely different things. And so uh, sleep apnea, uh, the word apnea means without breathing. And so the person literally is not breathing. And like his slide said, there are different reasons for that. It can be uh, central, which means your brain is just not telling you to, to breathe. And uh, so what we're going to talk about with an oral appliance does not help central apnea um, at all. We, what we work with is what's called obstructive sleep apnea, which means something is in your airway that's, that's blocking your airway so that you can't breathe. And typically, well, there's about four or five good reasons uh, why our airway closes off. It's different in different people. One of the things that I've been doing for the last two years is to work in an office with a physician. Um, I just felt like that was the next progression of, of a dentist working with sleep apnea. It's a medical problem. 
And so why not the physician and I work in the same office so that we learn from each other and, and uh, provide uh, choices for people right in the same office. And so uh, th that's been fun to do that. And so uh, we are working with uh, learning that there are different things that cause people to uh, be able not to breathe. One of the main reasons is our tongue collapses into our airway. Um, and so that's something that dentists many times can help. Uh, our tongue is attached to our lower jaw. Just, that's just the way it is. And so if we had a way of moving our lower jaw forward and holding it there, then we might be able to help that person sleep apnea. And I emphasize the word might. One of the things that I've learned in a couple of years working in a physician's office is physicians are much better at not over-promising than dentists are. Uh, dentists, we're just used to things working. You know, we're used to putting in a filling and it works. And so we don't say, let's try a filling. Uh, we ought to be uh, because not every filling works or, you know, we may have to go to something else or we're, we're over-promising. Physicians might say, for instance, let's try a... Uh, uh, this, this medication to take care of your blood pressure. Well, that didn't work, let's try this one, or let's try them in combination. And so uh, I've, I've, uh, I've enjoyed learning that. So let's try a CPAP, for instance. A CPAP is a, uh, a mask that people wear that is, uh, that's continuous, continuous air pressure that is splitting the airway open or holding it open so that you can breathe. And as long as that air is flowing at the proper pressure, uh, that person can breathe all night long. The problem that we run into with CPAPs are uh, people continuing to use them. Uh, there are a lot of reasons that people struggle with them. What, what about, uh, you know, I've got uh, claustrophobia, or I don't like to lay in bed with all these things hooked to me, or uh, they can't get a mask that fits my uh, particular face or I don't like carrying it through an airport. So now I've got to carry all this stuff and explain to them what it is and that kind of thing. Um, I have one patient uh, a couple of years ago that's been over a hundred cruises. And so she's had to drag that CPAP to every room on those cruises. And so a little oral appliance really uh, uh, appeals to her. And so uh, you, you can try CPAP or you can try an oral appliance. And so that's what I'm here to talk about is what's, what is an oral appliance. And I want to use this, uh, I want to use this diagram right here to, to help explain that. Uh, this is the airway coming through our nose and the airway coming through our mouth. And so we, we, we bring air in both of those ways. And uh, if I can turn this person over here like this now, in some people when we go to sleep, I have a, uh, see if I can do this left-handed. Uh, I have a little lever here that I can push that shows what happens. See how now their airway is closed off? And so uh, how do we keep that from happening? Well, a CPAP uh, mask with air uh, blows through your nose, and as they turn that air pressure up, it opens this airway. And as long as the air is flowing, uh, that person can breathe. Uh, one of the things that I would say here is managing is the word. We are helping that patient manage their own sleep apnea. And it's a mechanical way of doing that so that it's important whatever mechanical treatment you use has to be on there. Uh, I have one patient who passed away, for instance, a pa one of my patients who had an oral appliance. And uh, I learn from him. We learn as we, that's why it's called practice in the time. We, we learn as we go along. Um, I told him to, uh, when I gave him an oral appliance, I said, wear this every night. And he did faithfully. Uh, I, I believe him, uh, his wife, she said he, he wore it every night. The problem is he laid down to take a nap one afternoon and she estimates he slept for an hour and he didn't wake up. And so uh, it's, it's important to treat sleep apnea. It's potentially life-threatening. And it's a mechanical way of keeping the air open. So if you have a CPAP, it's important to wear it all night long, for one thing. Uh, medical insurance will typically keep paying for a CPAP if you wear it four hours a night. 
Well, you heard Tom say he slept six hours and 34 minutes. What about that other two hours and 34 minutes? If he had took his CPAP off, he doesn't wear a CPAP, but if he had one, what if he took it off? What about that other two hours and 34 minutes? Uh, and so uh, I, I don't really like that thing of, uh, I hear people say, you know, I'm doing great. I'm wearing it four hours a night. Well, what about the other four hours that you slept? Uh, you're really at uh, a potential risk there. And so that's the way a CPAP works. And so here's how an oral appliance works. If we have this closed off like this, because the, the jaw has fallen back along with the, uh, the tongue, then uh, the tongue is attached to this lower jaw. Look what, look what would happen if we had a way of moving this lower jaw forward and holding it there. Look what happens to the tongue. See now how that airway's open? Just like it was with the CPAP. And so that's what we're doing with an oral appliance. It fits right between the teeth. It hooks onto the upper teeth and the lower teeth. And so uh, for that reason, we have to examine people's teeth. Their teeth have to be in good shape for us to use them as an anchor for an oral appliance. Sometimes people have to have dental work done before they can have a, a, uh, an oral appliance done. Um, and so I brought a, a typical oral appliance. This one is made by the Somnomed Company. There are actually uh, almost 100 of these different kinds of appliances that are made by different laboratories. Uh, they all have in common that they are removable and something fits on the upper teeth and something on the lower teeth, just like this. And so then when the, when the teeth fit together, like when the person closes their teeth together, these fit together like puzzle parts. These little wings, we call them, hit against the leading edge of this upper when that person closes together and now their jaw can't fall back. See that? Remember this diagram here. We're trying to keep that jaw from falling back because the tongue is, is hooked to the jaw. It's adjustable, which it should be. If you, uh, I don't recommend that you buy one from the internet. Um, they're usually not adjustable. They are not, it's just something that you bought and it came in the mail and you, you put it on your upper teeth and the lower teeth. It needs to be adjustable because just like with the uh, CPAP, uh, the, the uh, sleep technician has no way of knowing how much air pressure is going to take to keep that person's uh, airway open. And so when you're asleep, they are turning the uh, air pressure up until the computer says you're breathing properly. We do the same thing here. This is adjustable. You have to turn a little screw. We have the patient doing that. They turn that one time each night so that the, each time they turn it, it's very, very slowly moving the jaw forward. And so then we do home sleep studies like Andy uh, mentioned that can be done. You can take something home and sleep with this uh, in your mouth and have that uh, sleep study going and uh, bring it back the next day. It tells us how we're doing so that we're comparing numbers to numbers. Uh, we're looking at how many times is the person quitting breathing per hour. And the, the definition of that is it's for at least 10 seconds. And uh, 10 seconds is longer than you think when it comes to breathing. Uh, we typically breathe more often than that. And so uh, hold your breath 10 seconds sometime and just see what it feels like. And uh, some people do it for 30 seconds or even longer. I have ladies that say they get out their watch and time their husband uh, quitting breathing. And it's a scary thing. You're laying next to someone and they, they're quitting breathing. And um, so we're comparing those numbers. Uh, the original sleep study, which we have to have, that's essential when we start a case like this. Uh, we can't just make an appliance because somebody's snoring because they may have sleep apnea as well as snoring. They many times go hand in hand. So we have to have something to start with. And then we're constantly comparing that number. How low did the oxygen go? You would imagine that if a person is quitting breathing, and the highest I've seen is 110 times an hour. And that's a lot. That's a lot. That's what almost every 30 seconds a person is quitting breathing. And so uh, uh, imagine the oxygen level in their blood would drop, and it does. And so how much did it drop? And so as we turn this forward, we're trying to improve those numbers. 
I have several. I have several questions. If anybody else has questions too, um, I, I I would love some comments on the benefits of an at-home sleep study versus an in-office. And also too, I do hear a lot of the times with patients whipping off their CPAP in the middle of the night unknowingly because they're trying to fight uh, a, a, a claustrophobic state. Do you find that patients do that with with um, with the dental, dental device, device over the system? They can uh, take it out. Uh, the only way we could prevent that would be wire it in. Yeah. And uh, we don't do that. Uh, and so I have seen people take uh, say they take it out. Uh, and that's uh, that's a hard one to uh, to work with. What do you do when the person takes off their CPAP mask or they take this out of their mouth? Yeah. Yeah. And uh, home studies versus in-lab studies. It used to be that every study was in-lab. That means you go to a sleep lab, you spend the night there, they hook things to you that record things. And... Uh, and that's still considered the, the gold standard. And for uh, one of the things, it's what's called attended. Uh, there's, there's a sleep tech that is, uh, is there, and the, typically they're in a different room. And they are looking at a uh, computer module and to, to see that uh, everything's going fine. What if one of these things comes off during the night? It's nice when you can have the sleep tech there to go put it back on. Uh, because it's not reading properly. Uh, if it's a home study, you're liable to bring it in the next day and it's not readable because some things came loose. So that's the big advantage. A home sleep study typically does not have EEG, which is something hooked to your head, uh, leads hooked to your head, and so uh, you can't uh, look at sleep stages like Andy was uh, describing. And, uh, and sometimes that's helpful. You know, if a person has no deep sleep, why is that? Um, that, that is uh, very important and so we like to be able to see those deep sleeps. How long did it take that person to, to get into sleep? You know, all those things. And can you prophylactically wear a dental device saying, oh, I want the best sleep possible. I don't think I have sleep apnea. I don't think I'm stopping breathing, but I really want to open up and get as much oxygen. Do people ever wear that prophylactically? No, uh, and I wouldn't recommend, teachers. I wouldn't recommend it. Uh, uh, you, you need to start with a sleep study. You could be treating something where there's not a problem. Right. Uh, the one thing I have seen is uh, I have seen uh, uh, smaller ones of these used by uh, people running track. Mm -hmm. If you're running track and you were, uh, had some way of getting more oxygen into your system, uh, it might help your performance. Mm -hmm. And so I've seen that, but uh, I don't believe I'd, I, I don't know, I've never, uh, that's a great question. I've never had anybody ask me that, but, uh, It'd be kind of like, I think I'll just take high blood pressure medicine. But some people do. Some yeah. people do. They'll do a low dose, yeah. low start, right. and then that happens. So, yeah, I'm. That's I'm a great idea. Let right. Me ask you a question. Yeah. So, say you're a mouth breather, and your nose, for some reason, is have a septic deformity or something. If you're a mouth breather, does that thing have, does your mouth have to be closed for that to work? It does not have to be closed for it to work. I do believe uh, some dentists think it works better if it's closed. And for that reason, uh, it can be made with a little attachment here, here, there, and there that you attach uh, rubber bands to. Like if you've ever had braces and you had to put rubber bands on your teeth, you put these rubber bands from the top to the bottom and it helps to hold your teeth together. Uh, sometimes people have, like you said, uh, uh, nose problems. Uh, and so some people literally have to have, we, one of the things that I've learned in working with a physician uh, is that we're all working as a team. We're trying to solve this problem. And uh, it's not going to just be me doing this appliance. It may be me doing this appliance and the person having their tonsils taken out if they've got two tonsils that are this big and, uh, and it's keeping your, you from breathing. Uh, uh, plus, uh, one of the things that causes people not to want to wear a CPAP is too, too much air pressure. Uh, one, one guy told me it feels like holding your head out of the car at 100 miles an hour. And so if we could lower that air pressure, maybe he could tolerate the CPAP. And so we could try using an oral appliance and maybe we get 50% of the improvement. Uh, and then we add a CPAP at a much lower air pressure that he could tolerate plus maybe have his tonsils out. We try not to take tonsils out on adults unless we just have to, but that's the major way that uh, sleep apnea is treated in children 
uh, incidentally, the rule for children is children should never snore. And so if you hear a child snoring, there's something that needs to be looked at there. I believe it definitely does. I'd let Tom uh, handle that. I used to think that sleep apnea only occurred in overweight people, but that's definitely wrong because you can get a lot of uh, people that are lean that have sleep apnea based on the structure, structure of their jaw or teeth or nose or whatever. But, um, yeah, I mean, you know, half the purpose of our clinic is to get people leaner, and it definitely will help. Um, because they're much more likely to have sleep apnea if they're overweight. Wouldn't you agree with that, Ken? I agree. I agree. Uh, we get referrals from all different directions, and one of the most common reasons is from, a, from physicians who are having trouble getting uh, the patient's blood pressure down. And so they feel like that if they had the sleep apnea under control, uh, they could, uh, the medication could have a better chance of getting their blood pressure I've seen that a thousand times that, you know, their blood pressure, they keep coming back, and we keep adding medicine. They're on three or four blood pressure medicines, and finally a light goes off in your head. I wonder if this patient has sleep apnea. You send them for the study. They get on a mask or a dental device. Their pressure comes down and less pressure on the heart. Like that story you told about the patient that died during a nap was very sobering to me. I, that's, that's really another light bulb went off. That's really important. So if somebody takes naps, as older people do, you tell them to put that in. That is a new one on me. That is very interesting. I'm surprised the number of people who fall asleep in the recliner and sleep four hours and then get up and go to bed. Well, that's four hours that they slept with, uh, uh, with their throat closing off as they were Sleeping. And think about it, when you sleep in a recliner, you're sleeping on your back, which is a much more dangerous position. I was going to ask about positional sleeping. Yes. Positional sleeping. What, what is the best positional sleeping? Well, the back, if you could do it, but only about 15% of people actually can sleep on their back. How many people can actually sleep the whole night on their back in here? Out of that thousands of people out here, Jenny's the only one. Uh, I can't do it. I can't do it. Or I definitely have. I would start oh, having breathing problems. I have to sleep on my side. So I, I guess side sleeping is a probably a, a better way to sleep for breathing. But as far as your spine and everything, probably the back. I agree with you for for uh, sleeping. Uh, side sleeping is the best. In fact, we use a, uh, what's called a tennis ball T-shirt to help remind people to stay off of their back. If you just take a, a normal t-shirt and sew a tennis ball into the back of it uh, so that when you roll over on your back it without waking you up it just is uncomfortable and so you switch back over to your side they make expensive ones that uh, that have a belt that you can strap on and that kind of thing but a, a tennis ball t-shirt works fine it's free and uh, another question just about the device. Will this also straighten my teeth and whiten them at the same time so that I get that fresh Martin dentistry smile <laughs> that I so, so long desire? It will not do that. <laughs> just, okay, just, just making sure, just making sure those at home, yes, will not do that. Okay, perfect, perfect. You know, another thing I want to mention about <laughs> Dr. Martin, when you were saying about how physicians interact and you learn from physicians on how everything doesn't always go right. And you're right, as physicians, and, and Dr. Paul Gorman, an orthopedic surgeon that works with us here in this office, has often told me, like when you're considering surgery or non, he, he said something to me that really stuck out. He said that there's nothing that we can't make worse. And that, that was a really good statement by a surgeon and yeah. very true. And another thing that I like to attribute to you, it's also something my dad told me many years ago. My dad was a general surgeon. You knew him, I'm sure. Um, my dad said that when you're a doctor or dentist, and you used this on my wife when you were treating her one time. I'll never forget this. We weren't sure why she was having that tooth pain. And you said to her something my dad told me, when you're not sure what to do with a patient, do something and it worked for her that you I think you drilled a little bit on the teeth and it actually cured the pain which was interesting so we do need to do something 
we have to be cautious about what we do in, in case it's a surgery or something. But I, I like that statement that you had. You know, you learn from physicians, we learn from you. I mean, the dentists, in my opinion, are much better at managing upper airway problems than any other specialty there is. Um, I know you've got some ENT guys and pulmonary docs, but um, you probably see more sleep apnea than any, any of us. They say that 80 or 85 percent of sleep apnea is undiagnosed. And so we're trying to learn in a dental practice how to screen patients. Um, you mentioned in your slide daytime sleepiness, for instance. What if we gave all of you a, a little form that asked eight questions? Uh, do you tend to fall asleep doing this, this, or this? And then you get a score from that. Uh, and the score is from zero to 24. Based on that, your, your number on that score, it helps us to understand whether you're suffering from day, excessive daytime sleepiness. That's called an Epworth score, and that's a, uh, that's a common uh, 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 questionnaire that we use in sleep medicine, so that we're all using kind of the same thing, and we compare, compare those scores. Any score below nine is normal. One over 16 is severe. And I've seen people that had a 22. You know, they could not stay awake while I'm talking to them. And they, you say, well, it's because you're boring. You know, <laughs> I hope not. You know, I'm going to get that Epworth scoring for every office that I have. If you'll help me with that, yeah. that's a really good thought. Is there waiting in the waiting room and just fill one of those out? Sleep is so important. Um, one of the problems I've had, and we'll kind of start wrapping it up, but is as a physician, I've had a really hard time getting these studies done, insurance covering it, prior approvals, and Tim and I have talked about this a few times, and it's a real hassle for patients to go through a sleep study. A lot of them don't want to go spend the night in a weird place. That's why there are decent home studies. Now, granted, the sleep lab is the gold standard, but I don't think I've ever sent anybody to the sleep lab that they didn't come back and they had sleep apnea. So if I thought they had it, almost 99% of the time they have it. Um, you get a lot more information, but the home studies are getting better. And we're kind of, Tim and I are talking about working on kind of a program to where we just take the insurance out of it and, and we provide our patients a, just a direct way to that's inexpensive fairly inexpensive to pay for it you know insurance is getting more onerous as, as time goes on more hassle and you know and then they don't pay well and, and, they, and a lot of patients they'll turn off your CPAP because you're not keeping it on long enough I mean well, that's terrible so we'll continue to talk about this and sure. and uh, you know maybe come up with something for our patients that they can find out if they have sleep apnea relatively easily and then perhaps treat them easily without involving their insurance. Medical insurance is the number one reason more dentists don't do this kind of work. Uh, as, as Dr. Rogers said, I'm one of four in the state of Tennessee that are board certified in this field. That's not because I'm one of the four smart dentists in, in Tennessee, it's because medical insurance gets in the way. And uh, it just doesn't attract uh, as many dentists as it ought to because they don't want the hassle of, of the medical insurance saying, we'll cover this or we won't cover this. Literally, they can tell you they're going to cover it and then they don't. And so now the patient's got this appliance and are they going to have to pay for it? Are you going to eat it yourself? What, it's a, it gets in the way of, of good medicine, I, I believe. Like Dr. Gorman told me, he said that the worst addiction Americans have now is to insurance. I thought that was very interesting because a lot of people, they, they, come to, they come for something and they say, well, my insurance covered. Well, who cares? This is for your life. And sleep is so important. And I really admire you for what you're doing because you're really kind of semi-retired. You don't have to do this. You're doing this because you know you want to help people and save lives. So I admire Dr. Tim Martin. And hopefully he'll keep going with this for years and years. And he's got a wonderful, he's got several clinics now. His son Kevin's taken over and kind of taken over. You're still at the helm, I'm sure. But, uh, but. Um, out of his way a long time ago. Well, you got a wonderful family. And, all right, we got another question. Nikki? Um, in terms of falling asleep at night, does it, does it matter when you 
really to me, you know, most people say take it at night. I think that's when it's absorbed the best. And that's a good question, though. The timing of taking any medication. Um, vitamin D is a critical hormone. It's really not a vitamin. But the timing is not as important as just keeping the levels up. So any time that you take it is good. Now, when you take a baby aspirin to protect your heart and prevent colon cancer, um, you should take it at night because most cardiac events occur early morning. So I find that to be very helpful. Um, so great question, but for you, you could take it any time, as long as it's consistent. And if you're over 50, which you're not, but remember to take vitamin K2 with it. That is getting off the subject, but vitamin K helps the vitamin D bring the calcium in your bones, not your arteries. So um, good question, though. I've seen I have seen it uh, said that five and a half hours is the minimum and um, seven is uh, what's considered uh, uh, ideal for adults and uh, when you deviate from that it, it can be a problem you, a person who sleeps 10 hours a night that's too much sleep why are they sleeping that much and sometimes it's uh, you know, maybe they're up three hours during the, the uh, middle of the night, so they really slept seven hours, but uh, they were in bed for ten. And it's like Andy's slide said, if, you're, if you lay there for 20 minutes and you can't go back to sleep, it'd be best to get up. years. As you get older, you produce less and less melatonin. I think that's one reason why adults don't sleep like kids. Your pineal gland, which is in the center of your brain, produces melatonin. And that's one reason light shuts it off. Darkness turns that pineal gland on, you release melatonin. But as you get older, you just don't put out much anymore. Kind of like growth hormone. It goes less and less and less. So some of the things we do as is, is an anti-aging doctor we almost try to cheat nature, which needs to be cheated because, it, you know, we're living a long time. So if we want a quality life, you got to kind of figure out a way to get around some of the natural things that happen to you, um, like wearing glasses. That's not natural, but you're cheating by wearing glasses, but wouldn't you do that or wear a hearing aid? So I typically take my melatonin about an hour before I go to bed, and there's different dosages. 0.5 milligrams all the way up to 10 milligrams. Um, there's some evidence that the real high doses, 10, 20 milligrams, will help prevent or treat recurrences of breast cancer. But um, generally, one to three milligrams is about normal. Sometimes I, I take the low dose. It works great for me. Sometimes if I took a three milligram, it'd really drag me out in the morning. Another great thing you can do is take magnesium at night. I take that every night. And the different forms, which you can look at some of my other podcasts, there's about nine different forms of magnesium you can take, depending on your situation. But magnesium is definitely part of my cocktail. Um, if you have a lot of pain of arthritis or whatever, then add a little bit of CBD oil in there. I really, I really know it does work. But um, that's I've never heard too that kind of when you go upwards and past. 10 milligrams of melatonin it's really not benefit it's 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 not going to help you if 10 milligrams doesn't work 20 to 40 to 50 is not going to work either and it depends too on i've heard some people say well i'm on 60 milligrams of melatonin if to me it depends on the actual brand that you're getting uh, with any sort of vitamins and supplements making sure that it's verified by a third-party source to make sure what's in it is actually in it we use life extension vitamins and have found success but Anything you get over the counter that's not regulated, have a, there should be a third party source looking at that. Is there, do you agree with that? I've also too heard that you can do melatonin even more than one hour prior to bed to really let it sit in so that, that, that by the time you hit the bed, you want to be asleep within 10 to 20 minutes. You're not meant to just sit and wait in bed. Is it true that most vitamins aren't regulated? 
By by the FDA, by no, the FDA. but the U, there's a USDA, correct, US Drug Administration that can look at it. There's different uh, third-party sources, but most vitamins are not going through any sort of FDA trials, most likely due to cost. There's a couple forms of high-dose vitamin D and, right. and omega-3s that are prescription medicines that are FDA-regulated, but most every other vitamin is really not. So you really got to be cautious. I've heard it said that 70% of vitamins that are out there being sold aren't, don't have the potency that they claim they have. So uh, we do like Life Extension. They're double-checked by two outside sources. They're a company that's been around 35 years. They do the research. Mm -hmm. They're dated. You know, if you get a vitamin, you want an expiration date on it, too potency. But, uh, How quickly do you move up on melatonin? I start at one milligram. The first two nights I didn't sleep. When do I go up? That's different for everybody. I mean, you could go up in a week, week by week, probably. You don't need to do any quicker than that. But um, I love Relora. Relora is one of those adaptogens. It's an herb that comes from the bark of a willow tree. And it's the great unknown, unheard of adrenal adaptogen meaning it helps relax you i love relora r-e-l-o-r-a we have it at all our offices and I, I take one of those every night and it's made a huge difference in really getting me off of lunesta and things like that and i'm like you there are things there's times out there when you need a good night's sleep when i was, if i travel i will still take a a small dose of Lunesta because I don't sleep well in a strange bed. Or jet bed. lag, coming off of a jet lag jet to lag. make sure you get on this um, But, you know, there's all kinds of things out there. You'll see that this vitamin doesn't work or melatonin's not effective. It is effective. I mean, you know, there's, there's no doubt in my mind that it does help. It's not going to put you fast asleep in five to ten minutes like an Ambien would or a, or a Lunesta. Lunesta is a, a lot cleaner drug than Ambien. You know, Ambien's, people do crazy stuff on Ambien, including eat in the middle of the night. They may go drive a car. They, I've had that happen to many patients. They don't know what they're doing. Suicide. Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a bad medicine. In my, there's a few bad medicines out there. In my opinion, that's one of them. There's better, there's a lot cleaner medicines like. What do you think of Rosarum? Rosarum's a, it's not bad, it's short-acting, mm -hmm. somehow the higher, the lower doses work better than the higher doses. Sonata's a short, you know, mm -hmm. a short-acting, fairly less good one. addictive for Sonata. Yeah, less form of so there's several things, so talk to your doc about it if, you know, you're having problems, because I, I would rather take some kind of aid and get a great night's sleep than just suffer my whole life not sleeping. Sleeping is just so pivotal in your health, and it's something that is a lot of times overlooked and people don't realize the importance. They could be eating great, they could be exercising, balance the hormones, but if they're not sleeping, it's, it's not gonna work. They're not gonna have energy. Yeah, and speaking of Relora and the Bark of the Willow Tree, that will be the title of my next children's book, The Bark of the Willow Tree, A Dog's Journey to Finding Proper Sleep. Thank you so much for joining us at Empower You Sleep Hygiene, where we empower you. <laughs> was that a good close-off? Thank you. I worked on that. I've been thinking about it for the past 10 minutes. The bark of the willow tree? That's hysterical. Okay, next week. First, can we give a big round of applause for Dr. Martin? That was very, that was very, very informative. That is, it is so underdiagnosed, and I feel like sleep is super important. Next week is going to be stress. Stress, it is, and what I'm going to focus on, too, is stress is the low-dose, low-simmer stress that... Americans deal with. There was a great HBO documentary by Dr. Sanjay Gupta talking about, we focus more on middle class Americans struggling between class warfare of getting up or lower on that. There's a low dose stress that middle class Americans go through uh, and contributes to a lot of hypertension and diabetes that we're seeing. Um, and, and it's gonna be a really good, this is one of my favorite ones. The next week and the last one of this very long Empower You series is gonna be type one diabetes. And I do have two special things planned for that. And you have to be in here to do, it's gonna be, it's gonna be good. It's gonna be good. So six o'clock Tuesday nights. Thank you and good night. Are, we, are there any other questions? Okay, we're out. Okay, perfect. Thank you all for coming. I appreciate it. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. That was that was awesome, Dr. Martin. I really
Thanks, guys, for listening to this episode of the podcast. Uh, Please share the podcast with your friends. And if you haven't subscribed yet, please subscribe. Uh, We will see you guys next time.